so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. The Bible reading comes from the New Testament book of Colossians, chapter 1, and this morning we're reading verses 15 to 23. Colossians chapter 1 and starting at verse 15 and the Apostle Paul is writing here. The heading in my Bible says the supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is God's word. Well, thank you so much, Jeanette, for reading for us this morning. Um, uh, good morning once again uh, for our visitors, uh, or I've been away for three weeks, so maybe you've forgotten my name. Uh, I'm Nick, uh, and it's my privilege to be the pastor here at Yes Community Baptist Church. Um, and so this morning we're starting a new series uh, uh, on Colossians, uh, the book of Colossians. So we're going to spend four weeks with a little break next week for our church camp. Uh, we're going to spend four weeks uh, in uh, Paul and Timothy's letter to the Colossian church. And so this letter is, a, is really, uh, uh, in the New Testament, perhaps the letter, though it's all focused, all the letters, all the Gospels, of course, are focused on Jesus and what it means to follow him. This letter is really potent in the sense of who is Jesus? Not just who was the earthly Jesus or or, or who was Jesus before his incarnation, but it's a potent message about the person of Jesus Christ and how our life should be shaped by our faith in him. And and it's such a potent book that that there's, there's no way in four weeks we can, even though it's only a short letter, there's no way in four weeks that we can really touch on everything. And so this morning, uh, in theory, I'm going to be touching on all of chapter 1 and the first five verses of, of chapter 2. 
And so the sense I get uh, is, is like when you go to the soldiers club uh, and you order the Mexican schnitzel and it comes out and you think it's all delicious. That looks so delicious. But I'm not sure I can eat it all in one sitting. Uh, I, I, I've ordered, my eyes have, have, have sought to approach and consume something that's far more uh, rich and delicious and, and plentiful than I can, that can, I can stomach in one sitting. Uh, and so this morning, I'm not going to go verse by verse through every part of this passage. We're not, we're not going to touch on it all. And that's going to be true over this whole series. Even though it's a short letter, it's so rich, there's going to be stuff um, that's, that's kind of not going to make it. Uh, into our Sunday morning sermons. And, and so what we want to do as a church through this series is, is engage deeply with this letter beyond just a Sunday morning. And so what uh, Carl has set up for us is through the Bible app, the Bible app, if you use that, if you don't use that, then come and see me afterwards. If you've got a smartphone, I can set you up uh, with how to engage with that. We, we've, we've started a group reading plan. Um, and so... Uh, in, in the bulletin and in, in the version notes this morning, there's a link to that. Uh, if you don't have access to either of those, I can connect you with that after the service. But, but what that means is we can all together, through that app, read through a few verses a day over the next 24 days, uh, and we can comment and share and, and, and be marinating ourselves uh, in the goodness of what God has to say through us, to us through Colossians. Um, so I really want to encourage you to jump on board with that. Um, if you're not a smartphone user, but you want to engage in, in reading what everyone else is reading, come and talk to me as well afterwards and I'll, I'll, I'll connect you uh, with, with some method of engaging with that. And so all that to say this morning, we're, we're going to take a dive into uh, Colossians 1. Um, but let this not be your only meal for the week. The thing is, no matter how big the schnitzel you need to eat more often than once a week. There's probably enough calories in a Mexican schnitzel at the Soldiers Club for a whole week, but you're still going to be hungry again if that's all you eat. And so I really want to encourage you to, to in the midst of your other uh, feeding on God's Word, to, to feed on Colossians through the week. I'm going to pray uh, for our time in the Word this morning, uh, and then let's, let's jump in. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Word. I want to echo the words of a song we sang this morning and I pray that as we jump into your word that your spirit uh, would answer this prayer, that you would show us who Jesus is, that you would reveal to us afresh, reveal to us at a deeper level, reveal to us not just intellectually but in the depths of our soul who Jesus is. And that through that you would lead us to live a life worthy of being followers of him. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so Colossians, we might often refer to it, as we do with many of the parts of the Bible, as a book. The book of Colossians, but it's actually a letter. Uh, Paul begins in, Paul and Timothy begin in verse 1 and say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. And so that's a, a somewhat standard introduction to a, a, a letter uh, in, in uh, the first century. 
And so what we read now isn't so much like a theological textbook. It's not that Paul wrote this um, with a sense that we would be necessarily sitting here 2,000 years later unpacking it and exploring it. But he did write it as an apostle, which is one who has the authority to, to um, speak uh, in a sense, as a messenger of God. And so elsewhere in Scripture, it says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. And so Paul's letter, though it was written to the, the church in Colossae, speaks to us today the message of the Apostle Paul and his companion and co-worker, Timothy. And, and so after this introduction, Paul begins uh, with giving thanks to the, those of, of faith in Colossae. Uh, see, this wasn't a church that... that Paul himself planted. In fact, this wasn't a church that he had ever met. And so most of the letters that Paul writes to churches are are ones that he led them to Jesus. He spoke the gospel to them. He formed, uh, with God's help, the church. But this is is merely a church that he's heard about, uh, that a a co-worker in Christ led to Jesus. And so his first words after his greeting to this church are, we always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. And so Paul's first response, his first kind of communication with the church is to say, we thank God for you. We thank God for you for one primary reason and and others that flow from it, but we thank God for one primary reason, and that is because you have faith in Christ Jesus. That word Christ means anointed one. It's, it's um, the same as the word Messiah. We thank God because you have faith in the anointed one, Jesus. And your love for all of God's people, or in some versions it's translated the saints. And then in the verses that follow, Paul mentions gospel over and over again, and and gospel is a word that means good news, and and so Paul is saying that, that all of this faith and this love for others stems from the gospel, the good news about who? About Jesus. And so Paul, in his introduction, in his opening remarks to the church at Colossians, is, is leading us into our understanding that, that it's all about Jesus. See, Paul may have heard lots of other things about the church at Colossae. He might have heard about their great potluck dinners. He might have heard about their generosity. He might have heard about uh, uh, that they have a great dress sense. They've got an awesome worship team. He might have heard lots of things about the church in Colossae, but but when he gives thanks to God for them, it's giving thanks for one thing, that they have faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's that one thing that matters. And lots of us can probably share the sense of, of, um, you know, it's, it's encouraging to be here as a church and, and together and to be reminded that we aren't alone, that there's others out there, there's brothers and sisters in faith that believe in Jesus and so we give thanks for that encouragement and partnership. Other, we would have had the experience, many of us, of perhaps going to a conference where there's sometimes thousands of people and going, oh, there's other people that believe in Jesus and just knowing that is such an encouragement, such an enrichment to our own faith, to know that there's people out there 
who have faith in Jesus. And so after giving thanks for this, Paul goes on to pray. If we jump down a few verses to Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10, he says, For this reason, because of their faith and because of the fruit that's been borne out in their church uh, life, because of the gospel of Jesus, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And so Paul gives thanks to them because they have faith in Jesus and then he prays for them and the center of his prayer is that they would be given the strength, the power, the perseverance to live a life worthy of the Lord that is Jesus. He gives thanks for the faith and then he prays that that faith in Jesus would be strengthened, that they would bear fruit in their faith with Jesus, that they would grow in knowledge of God and and in this sense, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the entire Godhead. In Paul, faith leads to action and so he prays that their, their faith, which he gives thanks for, would lead to fruitful action and faithfulness. This is common to all Paul's letter that, that it's not that our, our actions lead to our salvation but, but our faith in Jesus and what he's accomplished brings salvation to us. But out of that faith, out of that theology, out of that understanding that, that Jesus died for us, that he is sufficient for us, then, then our action And so he prays that they would live a life worthy of the Lord. And again, we're getting the sense that that it's all about Jesus. And so after giving thanks and praise, after praying, Paul begins his letter with what in theological terms, if you go to Bible college, they would call it Christology. Which is just... uh, you know, trying to make yourself sound smart word to say, who is Jesus? Who is the Messiah? What, what should we know and understand about him? And so in the next section of this letter, and this is where I want to center our time today in, in what Jeanette read for us this morning, Paul dives into trying to describe who Jesus is. And so we have such a, a, a potent richness in what Paul and Timothy write in these next letters. It's, it's as if they've thrown the dictionary and the thesaurus and, and, and every kind of word and concept they can think of to try and describe the awesomeness of who Jesus is. It's so rich, it's so profound, yet, yet it's still just scratching the surface. That's why Paul so often prays that, that as the song we sang that He, by His Spirit, would show us who He is. Paul's words, if we were to sum them up, essentially say, Jesus is above all. In verse 15, he, he says, The Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. That means that in Jesus we have revealed to us the very essence of who God is. 
See, throughout the Old Testament, this is one of those laws that God was very specific about and, 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 and the Israelites kept tripping over was, don't create any, any image of me. Don't create any object that you think contains my image or essence so that you can worship it because whatever you make will be such a poor image of who I really am that it won't be really me that you worship. This is this law that, 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 that trips up the Israelites when, when Moses is up on the mountaintop having this remarkable encounter with the presence of God. The Israelites are down there and they're getting a bit grumpy and they say, we want to worship a God that we can see. And so they, they melt down all their jewellery and create a golden calf and, and, and start worshipping that. And, and, and if we, we, we sometimes miss the fact that in their eyes, that image was the God that led them out of Egypt. They weren't jumping ship in their mind from God. They were like, let's just create an image to represent Him. They say, this Israel is the God who led you out of Egypt. In their mind, they were just kind of giving God some physical form so that there was a, a focal point to worship Him. But as we who know the story, know that God was angry about that. No matter what image we can make, no matter what physical thing we could possibly put together, there is no possible way it could represent who God is. But that's not true of Jesus. Jesus is the visible representation. John in his gospel says, we have seen him with our eyes the fullness of the manifestation of who God is. And American pastor Bill Johnson likes to say, Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is the fullness, the image, the exact representation of who God is. And so we, we might struggle to think of who is God when he's this invisible spiritual being, but, but God is given physical form in Jesus. And so the stories, the gospels of Jesus, the, the letters uh, that were written about those, from those who saw him with their eyes, this is now our visible image of who God is. Whatever understanding we have of who the God, the Father, the Son and the Spirit is must match the image of Jesus. But he's not just the image of the invisible God, he's the firstborn over all creation. In the next verse, Paul gives some shape to what he means by that. He says, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. In, in, in the ancient concept, the, the heavens weren't necessarily another place. It was the invisible spiritual realm. It was that place here and now that we can't see with our natural eyes, but is just as real. See, the, the heavens and the invisible are, are, are in essence the same thing. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, whatever kind of governmental structures, whatever exists on the earth, all things were created in him. And then he goes on to say, all things have been created through him. But not just that, all things have been created for him. Elsewhere in the scripture it says nothing exists apart from him. 
And everything that exists, exists through him. That is why he's the firstborn over creation. He is the preceding personality through which creation comes. Jesus is spoken of in the scriptures as the word. And we see in the account of Genesis that that God creates through his word. Let there be. The Apostle Paul then goes on to say, to wrap up, bring together those thoughts about creation. He says, he is before all things. Which means he preceded all things, but it means he's also above all things, and it says, in him all things hold together. In that sense, it's, it's capturing this thought in that, that uh, old Christian song that, that we sometimes, kind of a kid's song that, you know, he's got the whole world in his hands, he's got the whole world. And it's this sense of Jesus, like, you know, holding the world in his hands and, you know, on the internet now, you, you Google that song, you get these nice little Google, Google images of, of Jesus in his white robes looking very Swedish and holding uh, the world in his hands. And so it captures that thought that, that he's going to hold the world together, that Jesus is sovereign, he's holding everything together. Not only did he create it, not only was it created for him, but he's holding it all together. That everything in creation is dependent upon him. But in in the Greek language that Paul and Timothy wrote this letter in, it means so much more than just that God, that Jesus is holding all things together. It means that Jesus is the purpose of all things. It's not just held together by him. He is the reason for all things. He is the rationale for all things. He is the source of... For all things, he is the ultimate conclusion of all things. It's this sense of Jesus is in and surrounding and through all things. They came into being through him. They came into being for him and they exist within his being. All are dependent upon him. Whether we acknowledge that or not, the the most fervent believer in Jesus to the most fervent atheist are completely dependent upon Jesus for their existence. What this means is that God did not create the earth and, and kind of set it off and go, kind of go and, and, and take a few steps back and go, good luck with that over there. And, and kind of step back and just, you know, God is watching us from a distance. God created and continues to sustain through Jesus all things. God did not create you. God did not give you life. And then step back and kind of just watch you through a telescope from the clouds, wishing you well. Your life, your existence is so bound up in him, whether you're aware of it in this moment or not, every breath you have is dependent upon him was given by him and is for him. 
And so Paul kind of begins, Paul and Timothy begin this, it's often called a hymn, uh, this, this section where they're throwing the dictionary, they're throwing the thesaurus, they're throwing the language that they can come up with to try and describe the enormity and the amazingness of who Jesus is for all time. And then, and then they take this step into our world. See, Jesus has always been these things, but then he came in human form into our world. And it says in verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church. I'm the pastor of this church family, but I am certainly not its head. We have a secretary who does an amazing job, Tony, but she is not the head. We have an elder, Steve, who I think is flying right now back from New Zealand or soon to be, but he's not the head. We have a congregational governance because we have a, 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 we're a Baptist church and that's how we govern our local church, but, but we are not the head. Jesus came, he gave his life for the church, which means more than this building, means more than this Sunday morning gathering, it means more than just us, it means the body of Christ throughout all of his creation and he's its head. In, in, in the Greek language that this was written, that doesn't just mean a position of authority, it means source. Because in kind of the Greek understanding, we, we have a, a better sense of anatomy and we might think of the heart as the source of our body, that it pumps the blood around and gives life to our body. But in, in Greek understanding, the head was the source of the body. So Jesus isn't just the, the authority over the church. He's not just the, the uh, supreme leader of the church. He's the source of all things for the church. He stepped into our world and made us his body. And so he goes on to say, Paul and Timothy, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He's the head of the church and he's the beginning. He was the beginning of creation. But now he's also the beginning of the new creation. He's the firstborn from among the dead. And so Paul and Timothy are now connecting with the reality of Jesus' resurrection. That he who was dead, he who was crucified upon the cross, who gave his life for us, was not contained within the tomb, but on the third day he rose again. Which is one of the most attested historical facts in all of history. That Jesus rose again. But Paul and Timothy aren't just speaking of this reality that Jesus overcame the grave and rose again. He's saying, they're not just saying that he rose from the dead, they're saying he's the firstborn from among the dead. It's not just pointing to Jesus' resurrection, it's pointing to our own. That we too will rise. Jesus didn't just usher in creation. He's ushered in a new creation in which we will be restored, resurrected. And Paul says, so that in everything, and by everything, guess what Paul means? Everything. Things in heaven, this is still all part of the one big long Greek sentence, is referring to things in heaven. Things we can see, things we can't see. Things in heaven, things on earth. That in everything, he might have the supremacy. 
It means that he's above all. It means that when it comes to Jesus, hyperbole, that his exaggeration is not a thing. There is no way in which we can speak of Jesus in a way that overstates who he is. There's no way we can speak of Jesus that goes a little bit too far. As we sang this morning, he's worthy of every song we could ever bring. He's worthy of every spoken or thought of praise. There's no possible hyperbole or overstatement when it comes to Jesus. He's supreme above all. Jesus is above all. In verse 19 and 20, it goes on to, to, to speak more of Jesus. He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Just affirming that idea that in him is the image of God. That in Jesus we see all of the fullness of God on display. And through him to reconcile him to himself all things. The good news is that you and I are part of all things. God was pleased to reconcile you and I to Jesus. Whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. This is what it means for us to, to have a saviour like Jesus, supreme above all, yet not holding himself aloof, stepping in to creation. It means that we who were once alienated from God, as we read when we came to communion this morning, we who were once alienated from God and were enemies in our minds because of our evil behaviour are now reconciled through Christ's physical body, through death, and that he now presents us holy in the sight of God, without blemish and free from accusation. There's no such thing as hyperbole when it comes to describing Jesus' is, and the same is true when we seek to describe what he has done for you and I. He has done more than we could possibly fathom. We have been taken from a position of alienation. In the original, the word God actually isn't there. Once you were alienated, is what Paul and Timothy wrote literally, which includes this sense of being alienated from God, separated from God, but but it's actually broader than that. We were simply alienated, separated, cut off, not just from God, but from one another. Poisoned relationships, poisoned existence, but Jesus, who is above all, has brought us back to him. And so Jesus is sufficient. As we often sing, Christ is enough for me. Jesus is sufficient for our salvation, but he's not just sufficient. Jesus is supreme above all. He is the one who stands above all else. There is no limit to his awesomeness. And so if Jesus is above all, then our all should be for Jesus. Paul goes on to say, in, in um, jumping down to Colossians 2 now, Paul goes on to say to this church and, and, and the churches in the neighbouring region, 
He says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you. For those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. And so Paul is talking to all these churches that that he didn't plant, he didn't uh, go on mission to them, but but they've come into his orbit. He's heard about them and as an apostle he's writing to them and and he says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. And what's the mystery of God? He says, namely, Christ. In the end part of uh, Colossians chapter 1, in in verse 27, he says a similar thing. He says, to them, that's to all those that have come into contact with the gospel, it says, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is no mystery, there is no truth beyond Jesus Christ, this supreme being. But Paul goes further to say he's Christ, not just out there, he's Christ in you. Jesus is above all and he's come to make his home in those who believe in him. And so Paul says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that you may not be deceived, that you may not deceive yourself by fine-sounding arguments. See, we live in a world of fine-sounding arguments. We live in a world of people who will give lectures to prove that there is no God. We live in a world where people who claim faith will will give you the, the seven points to how to be a really, truly Christian. We live in a world where we kind of get this kind of sense of, yes, Jesus died for me, but I've got to do this, this and this to be saved. We live in a world of fine-sounding arguments or things that will lead us into pursuing them. We live in a world of distraction. We live in a world of uh, Wikipedia rabbit warrens. We live in a world where there is so much information thrown on us that sounds good. They're fine-sounding arguments. And, and you know, Paul is not anti-intellectual. Paul is not anti-science. But Paul is communicating clearly that all wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. Jesus is above all. Jesus is the centre of all. All things are for him. And he holds all things together. It is him, in him, that we've been brought from darkness to light. It's in him that we've been reconciled from being enemies to God to being inheritors alongside Jesus. It's in him that we have life. And so Paul says, I labour for this purpose. What's that? That purpose is Jesus and that others would know Jesus. If Jesus is above all, then Jesus should have our all. If Jesus is above all, if Jesus is sufficient and supreme, then he's worthy of our complete surrender. 
And so Paul begins his letter to the Colossian church with thanks to God for their faith in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. With prayer to God that they might live a life worthy of Jesus because it's all about Jesus and then he shares with them these profound verses. These profound pieces of scripture that that point us towards who Jesus is. But apart from the Holy Spirit revealing that truth, all we've done is throw words around this morning. And so as we sing this morning, as we worship, um, my prayer is that that prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossian church. I invite you to stand actually as we pray this morning and as we come to a finish. As we uh, begin this journey in uh, this letter written thousands of years ago, as we sit with uh, what feels uh, to me, not because of a false sense of humility, just a sense of, I can't speak well enough to justify such profound words. As we sit with a scratching the surface of this text this morning, my prayer for all of us is this. that we may live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might please him in every way, that we might bear fruit in every good work, that we might grow in the knowledge of God, that we might be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we might have great endurance and patience and joy. My prayer is this, that not merely by my words, not even by the written text of Scripture, but by the Holy Spirit we might know who Jesus is and what and we might be empowered to live for him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.